So my experience has been when we do that, we are generally going to be able to save them 25 to 40 percent. Okay on their annual insurance premiums. Okay. So that's the first place right. they're going to get benefit. From Ray and Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. As the costs associated with owning and operating a business continue to rise, owners are always on the lookout for ways to keep more of their money in the business. One popular place to look is insurance. And while there are a variety of insurance options available, on this episode of Unsuitable, we're going to talk about captives. Specifically, what captives are and how micro-captives and group captives can benefit business owners. Brad Stamler, Vice President of Commercial Property and Casualty with Levitt Group, is here to explain what these options are, how they can help, and when this option might make sense for your business. Welcome to Unsuitable, Brad. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great to have you. And I think this is a, a wonderful topic for our business owners out there because there's a lot of, I would say, misinformation, right, about captives as well. And right. certainly a lot that that they can learn. So, so from a high level, talk a little bit about what a, a micro captive is and what that can do for a, a business owner. A micro captive is a single parent captive, which means one person or several individuals may own that captive okay. versus multi-companies. And it allows that business owner to transfer either uncovered risk or underinsured risk into their own insurance company. It's a C corporation. And so that business owner is typically going to be the owner of the captive. And so those risks that are not covered by your traditional insurance programs can be transferred into the captive so that they are pre-funding on a pre-tax basis for those risks. Okay. And again, we're talking about insurance coverage here and and where they work well are for risks that maybe are difficult to insure otherwise, or is that kind of a misnomer? No, that's one of the areas, you know, traditional insurance policies will have exclusions. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a saying that uh, what the big print giveth, the small print taketh away. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) And so as we look at these types of captives and do our risk analysis, one of the areas we look at is what current policies do they have in place and the exclusions that are in those policies. Okay. And we can literally issue a policy that will cover all the exclusions. So, for example, every business is going to have a property policy. Sure. Every business is going to have a general liability policy. And the exclusions are there for a couple of reasons. One, because it's covered better in another policy. Or two, it's against public policy to insure against that type of thing. Okay. So we will we will issue a policy that says, okay, in the property, we're going to cover all the exclusions that are in that form. Okay. So now they really truly have an all-risk policy where before it was a kind of an all-risk subject to your exclusions. Right. 
And you can do the same thing with the general liability. Okay. So give us some examples of some things that might be uh, then included in, in this better type of policy, let's yeah, say. Yeah, so we can cover things like, uh, you know, flood. A lot of times that's a pretty standard exclusion and you can buy it in the open market a lot of times. But if you get into coastal properties mm. or where there's earthquake risk, you can either totally fund it that way or you can go into the traditional insurance market and there may be a carrier, but maybe the carrier is only going to provide coverage in excess of a half a million dollar deductible. Okay. Okay. So now we can issue a policy that covers that first half million dollars. So instead of having that claim and that half a million coming right out of cash flow and working capital, sure. They can now pre-fund it on a pre-tax basis and have invested it at the same time. And if it ever happens, now they have a choice. They can either pay for it out of their working capital or they can say, all right, I'm going to go ahead and turn a claim in on this particular type of loss. Right. Now, you and I have worked with and continue to work with several mutual clients in the construction segment. Right. And that's an industry, I think, that lends itself quite well to some policies uh, in the captive world because there are certain risks within the construction industry that aren't easily covered elsewhere. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite stories or examples is we, we have a client that builds military runways Mm -hmm. throughout the U S and is a successful contractor. And as I was talking to him, and this is probably eight or nine years ago, right. When I do the risk analysis, my last question to anybody after I go through my questionnaires and, you know, you're listening for answers and thinking sure. what the next question might be. My last question is always what keeps you up at night. Right. And uh, he looked at me and he said, a bad poor. I said, a bad poor. Tell me what you're, th- what you're thinking there. Yeah. He said, well, we're going to pour a runway. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have the texture correct, if we don't have the mixture correct, if the government doesn't like it, then that's back on us. And we got to pay for to rip it out. Yeah. And we got to pay for the new concrete. And we got to pay for the labor to put that concrete in. And that's a four to $500, excuse me, four to $500,000 check. I'm yeah. writing Brad and I and he Very said, that's, <laughs> that's what keeps me up at nights. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we chuckled a little bit, but after talking to him, and talking about, okay, what's your last five years experience been in that? How often have you been called back? Whether it's warranty work or major repair, we are able to take that information. And as long as we can identify the risk, measure the risk, get an idea on its loss experience, mm-hmm. we can then go to our actuaries and develop a premium for that. Okay, And they'll definitely actuarially develop you know, the the loss triangles, the, the curves, yeah. all the analytics associated with it. And then they will develop a premium for us as to what he will pay yeah. over 12 months in case that risk occurs. Yeah, which is great. This is a mutual client I know you're, you're speaking of now. And he's otherwise generally a very conservative operator, operates within a very narrow 
uh, sort of scope of work right. uh, with what they do. So right. for him to be able to cover that is wonderful. Absolutely. It, it protects the company against just a bad year. And again, if something happens, he then has that choice to make whether he wants to pay for it out of working capital yeah, or whether he wants to go ahead and file a claim. Now, a, a micro captive, a so-called 831B captive, Correct. right? There are right. some limitations. Your, your premium um, premiums that are paid to that have to be under a certain threshold. Is that right. correct? Right. I think for 2020, it, it's in a 2.3, 2.4 area. Million. Million, yeah. excuse me. Thank you. And uh, it originally, back in the day, the max was 1.2 million. Okay. And uh, it went through some leg legislative changes in, I think it was 16. And uh, there was a compromise that, okay, it had never been changed. So inflation was eating away at that amount. So they took it up to 2.2 million and, and put a three or 4% inflationary guide on it. So, you know, right. it's, it's in the 2.3, 2.4 million right now. Gotcha. And obviously there are, I know there's been some press around, you know, some so-called bad actors in, in that sector, like anything, there right. are bad actors out there who try to take advantage of uh, the way things are written. Now, right. the, the problem with those, and maybe you can expound on this a little bit, are folks that aren't using that to underwrite real risk and there aren't right. real claims involved. Right. They're sort of you know, kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, making up stuff to, right. to put in there. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, we were we were happy to see the IRS kind of investigate this. And they kind of came out with what they referred to as a dirty dozen list. Mm. And it was listed as a transaction of interest. And because of what they were finding is there were captive promoters out there that were literally setting up captives without any risk management approach or concept to it. And they're using it strictly as a tax play. Mm -hmm. And um, they got caught. A tax dodge, in other words. Exactly. It Minimize not. the tax. Don't pay the tax. Yeah. Because as with any new business that you set up, you're always considering what the tax ramifications mm -hmm. are. Sure. And it's just good business. Right. And... Uh, so, if you set up an 831B correctly, there can be some tax advantages to sure. it. Uh, you know, you're, you can put in up to $2.2 You're transferring risk from the corporation. So, again, now you're pre-funding on a pre-tax basis. And that captive that you've set up, and if you set it up correctly, there is no tax paid on the earned premium net income of the captive. Solely you, paid on the investment gains. Exactly. Correct? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, you know, if you do it correctly, there's, there's benefit from a risk transfer standpoint and, uh, and a tax advantage too. Yeah. But the purpose of them, the problem that these folks, these bad actors ran into, they weren't trying to underwrite real risk. They weren't looking at it as a, an insurance product, which in essence it is. You're trying to manage and, and mitigate risk. Absolutely. I mean, there's three or four cases that have been decided in the last three or four years. And as we read them, 
you could see that there were some very flagrant actions being taken. Sure. You know, for example, um, there was a case, I think it was out in Arizona, and uh, the capital was put together by an attorney in Georgia. Okay. And, oh, gee, the attorney had never been face-to-face with their client. <laughs> and, it was, and it was all done via telephone, uh, email. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you tell me how much you want to put away and I'll get you there kind of thing. Mm, yeah. So there was absolutely no risk analysis. Uh, another one was um, the client uh, was not happy with the captive manager because for the renewal, his overall premium went down. Okay. And he sent an email saying that he was not happy that his premiums went down for the year, which, <laughs> you know, I've never gotten any emails like that in my career. Uh, so like he has getting an email saying, I'm, my fees are way down. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not getting happy. cheated here. I don't feel like I'm paying enough. Uh, or another example was uh, the captive premium was actually more than his traditional premium, and it was for a policy that was acting as an excess policy. Ouch. So, again, how do you pay for the higher limits? Yeah. Pay more than what the lower limits were for. So, there are some pretty flagrant actions going on out there that, again, we are very pleased that the IRS stepped in because these captive promoters were just doing it for the wrong reasons, bad image, and, uh, and they got caught. Yeah. And if you do it right... It works well, and, and certainly there's no reason to do it any other way than what the way they tell you to do it. Right. Because it works, right? and you're getting rid of risk, and you're able to pre-fund for it. Do it honestly and, and for the right reasons and have true professional right. uh, involved in helping you set it up and, and structure it and, and all of those things. And that's key, too, because, again, we'll, We'll spend a lot of time up front on the risk identification and making sure we understand it and, and the ownership of the captive and then and get all the financial information, do our analysis, and then we will send it to actuaries mm-hmm. that this is all they do is work with captives, different types of captives. And uh, having been to their office several times, you know, that's just a different world in and of itself. Sure. You know, you think count, accountants are a little weird. You know, you put that actuary <laughs> now, in there, and, 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 and that's a whole new You're ball game. No, no. But they do a great job, and, yeah. and they are looking again at the loss experience, the loss triangles, and they'll even um, they'll do research into the insurance industry itself, okay. and say, okay, here's what we're seeing in the marketplace, and they're they're going to subscribe to different resources that help them as well. So when we get the report back, mm-hmm. it's it's about three quarters of an inch thick. And a good half of it is all of the statistical analytical stuff wow. that we all studied or tried to study right. in college in our stat courses. And uh, it tells you the basis of what they used and why they used the particular factors. And, and it's there to legitimize what we're doing yeah, because you may be audited. Right. And, and that's what we have to protect ourselves against is that we did it the right way. Yeah. It will stand up with the IRS. The other thing too, when we do those reports, you're going to have three to five different audiences. Sure. It's going to read that. Your CPAs are going to read it. 
Their bankers are going to read it. Obviously, the client's going to read it. Um, the IRS may read it. But the other thing, too, is typically these uh, captives will be domiciled, whether it's in the U.S. or what we call offshore. Mm-hmm. And when you send these reports in, they're going to look at these for how legitimate are they? Mm-hmm. You know, is this just a you know, a, a proposal off the shelf, change right. the names, and just to solidify that, okay, we can do this? Yeah. Or does it have some purpose to it? And, uh, you know, professional is, is really analyzed this thing. Yeah. And so that is really the majority part of the report that goes in to the finance director or the captive director, wherever you might send it, for them to review it and say, okay, I'm comfortable with this. They did their homework. It's done the right way. We'll go to head, we'll go ahead and certify yeah. and give them a permit. So there's true risk analysis, obviously, that's performed there and Absolutely. analyzed. And that's that's very critical to right. the, the, the process. So interesting. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about um, the the micro captive mm-hmm. and, and what that does. Talk a little bit about a group captive and how those work and how they might be a little bit a little bit different. Okay. A group captive, as it sounds, it's typically more than one person. There's mm-hmm. there's a group of companies, a group of individuals. One of the big distinctions besides that, and I'll cover that a little more, is the fact that most group captives are going to provide coverage for traditional coverage. Okay. Where, again, the 831B, it's not traditional. It's the ancillary. It's the, again, uninsured, underinsured. It's never going to dabble in, you know, the the general liability auto workers comp unless you're, again, insuring the deductible. So the group captive, depending upon the particular group captive you're looking at, will cover the general liability, mm-hmm. the automobile, and workers comp outside okay. of Ohio. Okay. So and more traditional type of, of things. Absolutely traditional. And what you're doing is literally today if if a uh, insured has a policy and it has limits of a million dollars they're getting the policy that says a million dollars on the general liability auto what they don't know is that particular insurance company is going out and buying reinsurance sure to back them up so let's say an example the million dollar limit they may have what's called a treaty in place that says for every general liability policy that they issue that has a million dollar limit, um, some reinsurance company is going to charge them a t- particular premium so that they will take that upper half million dollar risk. Yeah. And the reasons companies do that is to protect and manage their balance sheets. Okay. They don't want the large catastrophe, whatever it might be, sure. to all of a sudden, it's not just one insured we have, it's 20. And oh my gosh, we got 20 million at risk here, where with some reinsurance, you're knocking it down to 10. Yeah. So when you think about a group cap, Bev, what we're doing, it's the same structure, but where in the traditional sense, you have the fronting company or who's issuing the policy, they're going to keep the first half a million. And again, that second half a million is reinsured. In the group captive, what we're doing we're going to have a fronting company. Let's pick a name, uh, AIG. Right. And AIG will issue the policy. Then that f- 
they will turn around and reinsure the first 350000 to this group captive. Okay. And let's give it a name of Presidio. And so Presidio is owned by individual members, shareholders, okay. insureds that are operating companies that the common denominator is their emphasis on safety and loss control. Okay. And they have fantastic loss experience. Okay. So what we're doing is going out and kind of picking off the cream of the crop, if you will, gotcha. from the traditional marketplace and saying, okay, if we can get the top, pick a number, 5% of the insureds okay. of all the national branded insurance companies, we're going to be able to take that group. And again, their premiums are going to be developed off their own experience, sure, which is going to be better than the average experience within that national insurance company. So my experience has been when we do that, we are generally going to be able to save them 25 to 40 percent okay. on their annual insurance premiums. Okay. So that's the first place right. they're going to get benefit. That's huge. Yeah. So and again, these are best in class type of uh, from a safety perspective. They're absolutely operators. best in class. Okay. And um, and and they've been, you know, just you know, screened and interviewed and inspected and, and uh, it takes a lot to get into these things. Mm -hmm. So that's the first place you're going to see a savings. The second place is, again, we've got this layered approach where um, AIG is a fronting company. The first 350 goes to Presidio and 350 to a million will go to AIG reinsurance. Mm -hmm. And again, so they've taken the catastrophe type claim out of the captive. Yeah. Because those are the hardest ones to predict. Sure. So th so they've done that. So again, back to the first 350, again, we've looked at everything and that's really the, where the most predictable losses are. Right. So the actuaries, again, can, can pick a number and they're going to, pick a what's called a loss pick okay so if you got your general liability or your auto and your workers comp they're going to say okay i think that contractor i think that contractor is going to have three hundred thousand dollars in claims mm -hmm. they underwrite to a 60 percent loss ratio okay so if that three hundred thousand represents 60 percent then that means my premium is going to be a half a million dollars right and that that 200,000 bogey in there is for the operating cost of the captive. Okay. So that's kind of how it, it works from that aspect. So it's at $300,000 that will be kind of put into a bucket, if you will. Sure. For that particular client. And I won't go much deeper than that, but yeah. there's an A fund and there's a B fund, but that's there to pay your losses. So again, we saved 25 to 40% on the premium. That's the first savings. The second savings or income is as you pay your premiums in, those premiums are invested in your own name. Mm -hmm. So versus the traditional market, those premiums go into the insurance company. Sure. They're the ones investing. They're the ones getting the returns and they're yeah. getting the benefit. It's a black box. You never see it. Or never see it again. Right. And uh, so again, that's the second place you're going to get is the interest income. Then the third piece 
is again, I talked about that $300,000 yeah. or 60%. In the perfect world, would say if you don't have any losses, that 300,000 is yours. Right. Now, it will take some time to get it back because there's what's called a tail to these types sure. of coverages. It, it takes time to mature and close out. Right. But you will eventually get that with the exception of any type of claim that would be shared within the group captive. Gotcha. And those are typically on bigger claims. Right. Because the, the incentive of a group captive is, again, to have excellent companies join right. that do not have frequency issues with their claims that the real world is the fact you're going to have a big claim every yeah. seven years. Something's going to happen. You can't always do anything right. about it. Right. So you got to have some insurance there. Yep. And it's the, it's that B, they call it the B fund where the risk sharing takes place yeah. that will allow the premiums to be deducted then. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I think this is, uh, this is awesome stuff. And there's certainly a lot to learn and a lot of potential uh, advantages. I think it goes back to, you know, you want to sit down with a, a real professional like yourself and, right. and make sure you have the, the conversation and understand, you know, what you can do, the advantages, the risks, and, and there's great potential assistance here for business owners, right. certainly. Right. Yeah. They've got to, they've got to be open-minded. Yeah. There are different options and alternatives out there besides just buying traditional insurance. Right. And um, the key to it is, you know, what are you, what are you currently spending? Yeah. You know, and typically the group captive is uh, they should be spending at least $150,000. Yeah. In those three lines for it to work. Makes sense. Yeah. And I know the, the experience we've had with mutual clients, some of the ones that I know that do it are some of the most conservative folks that I know. And, and you would think, well, this sounds a little out of the box, but uh, it's been a wonderful experience for them. So they, they do a great job, you know, protecting the mothership, if you will, that yeah. being the captive, whether it's through letters of credits, whether it's through just underwriting, yeah, um, safety loss control. Cause again, you are with the best in class. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is great stuff, Brad, and really appreciate it. Very informative. And for our business owners, um, certainly hope they want to, you know, have a conversation and maybe think about uh, something that's that's a little bit different. Maybe they haven't explored in the past. So good stuff. Great. If you want to hear more business tips and insight, uh, or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com/podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's show. You can subscribe to Unsuitable on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 